Welcome back to our 15th episode of Opportunity Thrives, where we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive, lasting change. I'm Jean Sharp, and I'm here for Jason Mitchell today. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review, to provide your input, or send us your questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. Our topic today is social emotional learning in practice. What really works? We are delighted to have two guests who are here to share their insights about what needs are emerging, particularly as we prepare for the restart of school, what districts are hoping to do to respond to those needs, and offer their advice and expertise for district leaders who plan to implement an SEL program this fall. It's abundantly clear that districts across the country are facing real challenges how to re-engage their students in learning, address learning loss, and place students on a path for learning growth. Couple these concerns with the social and emotional needs of students and educators, and administrators undoubtedly are facing more pressure than ever before. But there is hope. Understanding how to support the health and well-being of students through social and emotional learning, can lay the groundwork for success in all these areas. Students' emotions and their ability to cope with challenges is directly tied to their ability to learn. According to Tim Shriver, the co-founder of CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, there is a groundswell of recognition that the academic, social, and emotional development of children is intertwined with their ability to learn. Join me in welcoming our first guest, Deborah Jackalone, the Supervisor of Mental Behavioral Health Services for the Sarasota County School District in Sarasota, Florida. Deborah has been a passionate educator for more than 20 years. Working in both public and private sectors of education, she has served students and families from pre-K and beyond. She holds an ed specialist degree in organizational management and leadership, a master's degree in special education with an emphasis in emotional and behavioral disabilities and specific learning disabilities. Deb holds the Office of Treasurer for the Florida Council for Administrators of Special Education and serves as a school district representative on many community action teams and committees. She works tirelessly to promote social and emotional well-being in all students while supporting academic success and growth for every student every day. Joining Deborah is Dr. Crystal Ladwig, the Director of Research for Suite 360, a social-emotional learning provider that partners with districts across the country. Crystal has served students and their families for more than 25 years as a teacher, researcher, and a professor. She has a unique understanding of the issues facing teachers and their families today. 
Her expertise includes social emotional learning, online learning, and mental health for grades K through 12. She specializes in educational applications and design and holds a doctorate degree in special education. Crystal has coordinated several research projects at the University of Florida, working with children with autism and young children at risk for the development of emotional and behavioral disorders. Ladies, it's so wonderful to have you both with us today. I look forward to diving right in. To start, I would love to learn more about how each of you define social-emotional learning. Deb, can we start with you? Sure. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me join you in this very important conversation today. Um, In Sarasota, we have a motto, and we believe that all learning is social-emotional learning. So when we think about social-emotional learning, we're thinking about all of the skills that are necessary to foster success in our students. We think about the skills and what it takes to be successful in class, in your relationships, in your workplace or place of employment, and in the community. Thank you, Deb. And Crystal, how do you define social and emotional learning? Well, hello. I'd also like to thank you for including me today in, uh, in this, again, this is a very important topic. Uh, I think of social emotional learning as being about how we all, children and adults, understand and manage our emotions. We use those skills to understand ourselves through our self-awareness and self-management, to help us understand others through social awareness and relationship skills, and to use all of those social emotional skills to make responsible decisions. These are skills that we use from the time students or children are born, they start learning these, and we use them throughout our lifetimes. And so this is something that really is not just a young child issue. This is an issue for everyone. I'd like to follow up with you, Crystal. We know that there is compelling data about the impact social emotional learning can have on student health, wellness, and their overall well-being. Given the uncertainties that we've experienced this year, including school closures and COVID-19, along with civil unrest, What is the research currently suggesting or what are you hearing about how our children and young adults are doing? Thank you so much, Jean, for asking that question. It's a very important one. We already know that students across the country were experiencing an uptick in mental health challenges before the pandemic hit. Thankfully, states and communities were already recognizing the importance of social-emotional learning and mental health education. I'm certain the the skills students learned are helping them now. In fact, a meta-analysis conducted before the pandemic of 213 studies and more than 270,000 students in grades K through 12 showed improvements in social-emotional skills, attitudes, behavior, and even an 11 percentile point gain in academic performance when these same students had specific social-emotional instruction. And not only that, long-term benefits are there too. A review from Columbia University found a financial return rate of $11 on every $1 spent. That included student benefits like a reduction in high school dropouts, higher incomes, better health, and a lower likelihood of involvement in the criminal justice system. It also included societal benefits like lower costs of public assistance, higher tax revenues, lower costs of public health services, and lower costs within the criminal justice system. And all these benefits came through simply spending a few extra moments each day 
helping students learn about and process their thoughts, feelings, emotions, and experiences. Thank you, Crystal. Deb, with that background from the research, how does this resonate with the students in Sarasota? I'm particularly interested in learning more about your district and what drove you to pursue an SEL program for Sarasota County School District. Yes, that research is quite compelling and um, very consistent with what we are seeing here in Sarasota County. Um, Our district has about 45,000 students um, pre-K through grade 12. So it's it's a rather large district and we are just really committed to making sure that every student in our district is getting exactly what they need at any given time. So our focus this year is really going to be on understanding the many needs that students are going to come with as we return to school. Some of our students will be coming back to a traditional brick and mortar setting, and some of our students are going to be um, being educated in a remote learning environment. So we're going to be navigating some um, new waters, waters that we haven't been in before. We, We really want to focus this year on looking at students that may be really impacted by the traumatic events that have happened and help them understand and develop the the skills that they need in order to be successful and bounce back with a sense of resiliency. We are focused in on our teachers and our staff, really training them to understand the signs to look for. And once they identify students with needs, knowing how to get them to the appropriate trained staff member for optimal support. We also want to work with students that may be coming back in and they seem to be doing okay. We want to really help those students grow and enhance the skills that they need so they can reach an optimal level of success, whether that be academically or social emotionally just whatever a student needs, we want to commit to giving that student the best of that. It's very clear that you're being intentional and planful about how you support both students and staff as they return to school. I know you're at the front end of your implementation right now, but as you begin your implementation plans, what kind of feedback or response have you begun to see from either students or teachers or staff members throughout your district? I think um, the number one thing that I'm noticing is that these uncertain times are bringing about many questions. Some of those questions we have answers for and some of those questions we do not. So we are just really committed to learning, learning from our staff, learning from our students having a listening ear and listening ear whenever possible so we can understand the concerns that that people have we think of the return to school of a as a continuum and we have staff and students that are at many places along that continuum some students are ready to get back and not even thinking about the events that that they have gone through. We have other students and staff that are very frightened of what the future may bring. So our goal was to implement a program that would truly meet the needs of staff and students wherever they are on that continuum and then help that staff member and help that student grow and thrive into the best version of themselves. Thank you, Deb. Crystal, from your position, how does the interest and the need for social-emotional learning now as we're thinking about this unique time compared to what you have observed in the past? 
Well, I must say that interest and demand for social-emotional learning has been steadily increasing over the last few years. It used to be something that people only thought about for young children or possibly for students with special needs. But now we know that the benefits of this type of instruction are there for all students. More and more states are now requiring districts to include social-emotional learning and character education and some even mental health instruction in their instructional plans. One thing I am hearing a lot about as we talk with schools and districts is the concern about student social-emotional skills and mental health since the shutdown started. We don't have data yet on the impacts of social-emotional learning during COVID, but we do know that kids have faced social-emotional challenges without that support. There is some preliminary research to support this, though. The National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, reported that children have experienced significant stress, anxiety, isolation, loneliness, and grief during the shutdown. And let's not forget the teachers, too. Castle and Yale University conducted a study of teachers, and they reported feeling anxious, fearful, worried, overwhelmed, and sad. So we've got now a group of teachers coming back, experiencing their own social, emotional, and mental challenges at the same time they're trying to teach children that are dealing with those challenges. So we are in a unique position right now. And I cannot stress enough how important I think the social, emotional learning and mental health education is going to be moving forward. Because of these trends that we're seeing and the things that we're hearing and and obviously this research, some schools are even planning to have a big social, emotional learning and mental health push as school starts. We even have some districts that we've talked to that are planning their first week to be nothing but social-emotional learning, mental health, and a time for students to talk about the things that they've seen and experienced over these last six months. And essentially, it's the idea that we need to put Maslow before Bloom. We have to make sure that students' basic psychological, safety, and social needs are met before students' brains are physically capable to begin processing the components of Bloom during instructional times. Absolutely. I have been reading the reopening plans for some of our local districts, and each one of them includes an element of relationship building and social-emotional learning needs, caring for the social-emotional learning needs of students. So, Deb, let me turn to you and ask you, as you think about your implementation of social-emotional learning throughout your district, what are some of the outcomes that you're looking for And what are some of the challenges you anticipate that you might face along the way? I love um, what Crystal was referring to when she said we want to put Maslow before Bloom. Um, We really feel that it is just so important that we remember that how we teach is just as important as what we teach. We are we are going to be working this year to strengthen that strengthen the conversations and the collaborative efforts that we have amongst our various stakeholders. And that includes the departments within our district, not only the pupil support services department, but the curriculum department, the instructional technology department, the data department. We believe that everybody needs to be working together for the benefit of social emotional outcomes for our students. We are hoping that through the strong implementation of social emotional programming and curriculum, that we are able to reduce the stigma that goes along with mental health challenges and mental health conditions. We're hoping that we increase access to services and support so any student that needs something additional is able to get that something that they need. We're also, we also know what the research says about attendance. Schools that have strong social emotional 
programs in place and a mindset that supports those programs see an increase in attendance. We see an increase in academic outcomes for those students, and we see a decrease in discipline infractions and, and, and behaviors that result in out-of-school placements. All of those things are really important to us in Sarasota, and we are hoping to focus in on those things so every student will be able to reach their goals and be the very best version of themselves along the way. And Deb, you are so right. The benefit of social and emotional learning in terms of engagement in learning, attendance, um, and and the outcomes from a learning perspective are, are very, very clear. Crystal, Deb mentioned a lot of outcomes that they're hoping to see with an SEL solution in Sarasota. Can you speak a little bit to what the research tells us about the SEL impact on school climate and school culture? What has your experience been? Yeah, I'll be glad to. So one of the things that we see, and even in the short term, we'll see it as an improvement in school culture and school climate where students begin to have greater levels of respect and tolerance for people that are different from them, greater acceptance for people that are different from them. That includes things like racial differences, gender differences, but even in the way that people act and their interests and a lot more of that just understanding that other people can be different from me and I can still have a lot in common with them and and get along with them. So Deb, Crystal had spoken about the benefit of social emotional learning as we think about equipping students for life skills, as well as, quite frankly, the need for mental health and and really being attuned to students from a mental health perspective. As you think about your students coming back, are you also concerned about uh, students who may have may not have exhibited behavioral issues in the past, but may have some behavioral issues when they come back to school. And how are you thinking about addressing those? Absolutely. I just, um, I believe that, I don't want to overuse this word because we hear it so frequently these days. I really believe that we are in unprecedented times. And I feel that every person has been impacted by some of the health events, some of the political events that have taken place. I believe that our students and our staff are coming to us with impact of some level of trauma. I don't think any of us have really experienced a global pandemic before. And we're concerned about all of our students and all of our staff coming back. So much so that our real focus for this year is really meeting the needs of every student and every staff member. I cannot overemphasize that enough. I feel, like I said earlier in the show, that we have um, a whole gamut of emotions and feelings all across a continuum. And we are just trying to gear up our efforts to be able to respond to the needs of our students and our staff, however that looks. Excellent. Thank you. I'd like to address this question to both of you. When we we've talked a lot about school closures and we've talked a lot about the impact students of students in working remotely in not having their connections with their friends and school and those routines that are so important to them. But we have not really spoken too much directly about the civil unrest that many students are observing in their local communities and certainly on television. I'd love to get your perspective on how social and emotional learning can be a resource to 
address some of the feelings and some of the emotions that students might be feeling as a result of the social unrest that is happening across the country. Crystal, shall we start with you? Sure, that'd be great. You know, this is a great question, and it's something that I think there are some students, some families who have probably had some great discussions watching some of these things on TV, maybe going on and participating in some of the protesting. Maybe that's just happening in their community and they're hearing about it. Hopefully, families are discussing this with their students, but we know that there are some families who may feel ill-equipped to do that, who may try to shield their children from it, but the children may have still seen and heard things. And regardless, all kids need to have a time to pro- opportunity to process things that they're seeing and hearing, especially when there are things that could be traumatic. We do have students that we know, we've seen it on TV, students are out there in, involved in the protests. We've seen things about uh, the disproportionate uh, impact of COVID on people of color and the impact that that's having. And they're seeing that in the news too. And really what a lot of social emotional learning and mental health education opportunities provide students is a chance to process the things that they're seeing, hearing, and experiencing so that when they have seen these things on TV, we want them to have an opportunity, whether it's with their family, with their friends, with teachers or counselors, to talk about these things, to talk about any trauma that they may be feeling as a result of this or any anxiety or fear, especially if they're seeing it in their own communities, to make sure that they know how to stay safe. But also, this is, I think, sparking a lot of activity in young people about taking action and to stand up for human rights for all people, including and especially including people of color right now. And providing opportunities for students, whether, again, that's with the family or with the school, to help students understand what's happening and understand how they can help in their own community to make a difference in the lives of others is significant. And the social-emotional learning skills that students learn help them to be able to have these kind of discussions with their peers, with their teachers, and with their families. Thank you, Crystal. Deb, how would you answer the same question? How does social-emotional and learning help prepare students or equip them with the emotions and feelings that they might be dealing with as a result of social unrest? I I think when educators make a commitment to make social emotional learning part of their deliberate practice, something that is intentional throughout their day, it gives us a golden opportunity to address all of those things that you and Crystal um, just mentioned. If we start with a growth mindset of for our students and for our staff, the the ability to make an impact on outcomes is tremendous. I think about all of the skills that we have, the, the ability to teach students that may not have them to help foster some of these relationships in difficult times. If we start with thinking about how we respect others, how we show empathy, how we are able to um, repair relationships when harm has been done, whether we identify emotions, whether we teach students how to listen with compassion, all of these things are so important to the relationships that we have, not only with one another, but for our school community and our larger community at hand. I think um, social emotional learning it is this, the time is now to teach students the skills that they don't have and to help students that have those skills help others develop those schools and be leaders and role models within their classrooms and within their schools. I think everybody has a voice right now and how we use that voice is going to determine the outcome for your school. It can be used as a position of power to promote positive um, 
culture or it could be used in a very negative way. And our goal here is to give everybody a voice, but to use that voice in a positive way. Crystal, what advice would you offer to a district that's unsure where to start, but really wants to make positive changes? Well, first, I would want to say that they're doing the right thing. It, the focusing on the social emotional learning, we can see in the research, we can see in listening to the things that Deb had to say, has just an immense impact on students, both in the short term and the long term. And in fact, you know, again, a tar- part of re- reinforcing that idea that this is the right thing to do. We even see this carrying over into college, that when students get into college, those that have strong social emotional skills are more successful than those that are not. Most college dropouts don't drop out because of academics. They drop out because they're not able to handle the rest of the things going on in life. So the first bit of advice I'd like to offer is persist. Stay in there because it is worth it. Second, my background is in special education and mental health. So I'm all about individualization. I think that applies to districts too. What works in an urban New York district may not be the same curriculum that works in rural Idaho. Districts need to look at the skills, needs, and culture of their students and teachers, and then look for a program that fits their unique nature. Ultimately, a high-quality social-emotional learning or mental health program will offer flexibility in implementation and delivery, a way to measure student progress and professional development. Most teachers have not been trained to teach social-emotional learning or or mental health. Providing that professional development goes a long way to making sure that the students have the skills that they need when they need it. And finally, I'd say that a curriculum that you choose needs to be culturally responsive for all grade levels, K through 12, and evidence-based. There are so many out there on the market right now that are being flooded, especially with the shutdown and families staying home and districts just scrambling to find things. So make sure that whatever you choose for your social-emotional learning or mental health is researched and evidence-based. That's great advice, Crystal. Thank you for sharing that. Deb, I'd like to ask you the same question. As someone who has been through the process of identifying and selecting an SEL curriculum and are working through the implementation uh, planning for that, what do you recommend to educational leaders who are just looking, just getting started in implementation of SEL programs? Thanks, Jean. I loved everything that Crystal just shared with us. And the the advice that she gave were many of the steps that our district took as we got started with our CELL initiative. I think the most important thing is that you have a willingness to collaborate and to have those conversations. With my background, social-emotional learning has always been part of what I've done as an educator. And it's been a deep belief that I tried really, really hard to implement and to model for my students and my families and my staff members and all of my efforts as an educator. There there are some people who are content specialists and don't have the skill set yet to navigate educating students in a social emotional curriculum. So have the conversations be willing to, willing to collaborate with those that might have expertise in areas that you don't. Make a commitment. Make sure that your district leaders have the same philosophy and the same goal in mind and the same belief that social-emotional learning is important to all students. And it's really important that we support our staff and their efforts of delivering high-quality social-emotional learning. 
And then I think lastly, the most important thing is to take action, to do something, to make sure that you're understanding the needs of your students and you're committing to give them what they need every single day. That's excellent advice. I couldn't agree with you both more. When we equip students with social and emotional learning skills, we're giving them skills that allow them to help navigate the world around them at home, at school, and within their community. And what could be more important than that? Uh, Both of you have brought such great insight into our conversation today. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Your perspective has been incredibly valuable, and I'm sure that the educators who are listening appreciate both the research and practical advice that you've shared. And to our audience, thank you for listening today. If you are enjoying our podcast, we would love it if you would take just a minute of your time and share your feedback on our show by providing a review on either Spotify, iTunes, or whatever platform you listen. And please reach out to us with questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time.